0: Welcome to the podcast Rise and Play. I am Sophie Vaux, your podcast host. I bring together leaders, entrepreneurs, fund makers, investors, and educators who are here to make a change in the industry for a brighter and healthier future of the games we will make and how we will make them. We're here to start a conversation because listening and asking the hard questions is sometimes enough to inspire change in us, to take the leap to. Let's begin. Today, I am super excited to have Caroline with me on the podcast. Caroline Kainzer is the CEO and co-founder of Trailmix, a London-based studio which focuses on combining great storytelling with the best of free-to-play mobile gaming, as well as creating a space for people to be the best version of themselves. Before founding Trailmix, Caroline worked as the VP and head of studio for King. She joined the company in 2012 to help set up the London studio and bring the studio's first title, Farm Hero Saga, to life. Caroline has also worked at EA Playfish as a director of product management and as a management consultant at Accenture in Munich. She is today on the GDC advisory board and angel invests in female-founded startups. So hi, Caroline. Really excited to have you here with me on the podcast today. How do you feel today?
1: Hi, Sophie. I'm so excited to be here. Um, yeah, I'm good. It's uh, it's early in the morning uh, for me, <laughs> 8 a.m., <laughs> but, uh, but it's a great way to start the day.
0: Thank you, and I appreciate that we do this in the morning, but also no distractions so we can uh, go freely in the discussion. Exactly. So my first question, and really also for uh, the audience to get to know a bit more about you, you have a long career in gaming. You've been to amazing companies, work on big products. And I was curious from your background as a consultant, how did you end up in games? it was, it was your journey in games to be where you are today?
1: Sure. Um, I guess I got to into gaming in a quite a roundabout way in that I, I never thought that that would actually be a career for me or that... You can have a career in gaming, and um, and I guess I was like I actually worked for quite a lot of different companies, and I worked in a lot of different countries. You know, kind of like exploring, sort of like what direction I want to uh, go into. And I worked for Sotheby's Real Estate at a Côte d'Azur, for example, or I w- worked in a hotel in Portugal, and uh, I worked for Siemens in China, and and it, it, I guess I I was always searching for something that that really speaks to me. And I guess I, uh, because I went to business school, going to Accenture was sort of like a natural step because like a lot of people end up at investment banks or in consulting. And, uh, and it was a great experience because it was a very steep learning curve, but it was also really a really tough experience because they, they definitely make you work very hard and they do treat you as a resource. Right. And you just, constantly deployed to different projects. And and after a few years, I just, and, and often people do go into consulting because they kind of want to figure out what they actually want to do. And uh, after a few years, <laughs> I, I just, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And I wasn't even sure if working is actually a thing that I'm enjoying uh, because I didn't enjoy my work at Accenture very much. And by chance, I, I met someone, a friend of a friend who at the time worked for Playfish, which was a Facebook gaming company based in London, mm-hmm. and I was based in Munich at the time, and I talked to her, and she told me all about you know her role as a product manager at this, at this Facebook gaming company, and my mind was absolutely blown because I realized that there are actually people out there who enjoy their work and are really passionate about what they're doing, and so I applied at Playfish, and I, I flew to London went into the studio, met all of these amazing, young, colorful people. And, and it was pretty clear to me that that is the place where, where I want to be. And I'm really glad that they did give me that opportunity because I obviously I knew nothing about games and I knew nothing about startups. And Accenture was my first real, real proper job. And I think that did take a huge risk on me. And I'm I'm incredibly grateful because I do feel that by joining Playfish, I kind of I just found my my tribe and I found found the thing that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Great,
0: so it's also a great journey, like from indeed, like quite a, I would say serious industry as we sometimes differentiate with games to a more entertaining industry. And so a bit further than through your career, where you join uh, after King and also. Beyond the first uh, title, that is a super successful title at King Family Heroes Saga. I was curious as well, what led you to open your own uh, company and studio? You could have continued, you know, at King, probably going through the career ladder or go for a new product. If you could share as well, what was the reasoning?
1: Yeah sure. I guess joining King at at that time and I joined King at in in 2012 so that was actually before Kenny Crush mm-hmm. on mobile released and it was just such an incredible journey from joining this still pretty small and scrappy startup that King was to you know, seeing it evolve and and grow and be so hyper successful, and we had the opportunity to set up the London studio from scratch, and kind of like it felt a little bit like we have our little startup within a startup, we have the opportunity to kind of like go through this journey, but you know, still in a in a relatively safe way and supported way, I suppose. And we did have a lot of autonomy at the time to set up the London studio and uh, yeah it it was an incredible experience we released Farm Heroes Saga Tristan my now co-founder was part of the initial team that set up the London studio and so Tristan and I went through a lot of ups and downs, and uh, <laughs> obviously, uh, you know, like releasing our first game together, and and I guess going through this journey and seeing hyper growth, and obviously, we had an IPO at King, then we got acquired by Activision, and and effectively after five years at King, I I was in the position of like VP and general manager, heading up the the London studio. And yeah, I guess I could have stayed at King and and, and I felt that it was a really good job at the time for me. And I, I was in a really great position, but Tristan actually, he had his own startup in New Zealand before he came to London. And it was pretty clear for him that he wanted to start his own company at some point. And so he had been talking to me about this for, you know, a little while. And I was like, I mean, that's crazy. You know, like, why would I leave this? secure job and jump into something that just might you know completely crash and burn without within the first year but then I also thought you know it's kind of like a once in a lifetime opportunity to start a company with someone who you really trust and respect and you know you can work with this person super well and and your vision is just so aligned and your values are aligned and I, I felt the more we talked about you know why trail mix should have a reason to exist and and you know, like what we want to achieve with it and what kind of impact we want to have with it. I realized that that is the the best way to spend my time. And that's almost the only way for me to potentially have a real impact on, you know, like the industry and and the people around me.
0: Yeah. And as you mentioned, like uh, your thought process when you were offered to jump, you know, on a startup adventure with uh, your your co-founder, Tristan, what were your thoughts were going through your mind or fears? Do you remember like hesitations?
1: Oh, I guess just just the fear of putting yourself out there, right? Because I mm-hmm. I think that especially when you're relatively senior in a big and successful company, it is actually pretty comfortable, all things considered. Of course, you have other you have, you know, like other challenges and high expectations on you. But at the same time though, you kind of you're part of this really strong community, and it's in in many ways a, a door opener, right? And when you when you leave this uh, this community and you're you're on your own, you effectively are saying that you know, like I can do this thing, you know, and I'm I'm good enough to do this thing on my own, and you know, like people will join me and people will give me money, and and that's kind of scary because what if no one is ever gonna invest in you? And what is what is no one is ever gonna join you and and i i would also say that obviously from from king's side i mean that they, they obviously discouraged people <laughs> to to leave and just start their own company right so i guess there there was definitely uh, that there were quite a lot of like elements to it that just made it a very very scary proposition mm. <laughs> we did it and uh, and glad yeah I'm, I'm very glad we did obviously um because it's, It's been definitely the the most challenging time, but also the most satisfying experience uh, for me. Yeah.
0: And as you mentioned, like this fear of like not being able to attract money uh, early stage or even um, uh, attracting uh, talents to join a a startup that doesn't have anything visible yet. How was this early journey for you? Did you start? Did you bootstrap? Did you get an early uh, funding and who did you onboard at first? Uh, what was the beginning?
1: Sure. So we we actually had a six month non compete uh, period after we left, and so uh, we had six months where we mm-hmm. could, you know, actually just first of all spend a lot of time talking to each other and making sure that Tristan and my, you know, our vision really is aligned, and we. We hundred percent agree on what kind of company we we want to build right and and as part of that con- conversation was funding discussion, you know like do we bootstrap do we you know like what do we get an investor on board what kind of investor do we get on board you know like what is our what are our time frames you know in terms of you know like what what is the goal for for the company and all of these things and it also kind of gave us the opportunity to learn a lot about investors and I guess like generally you know what is a you know VC what is an angel investor what is um you know, like all of these different types of investors and so when we when we were ready to be able to come out as trail mix and um start talking to investors, I think we we had a really good idea of you know what we wanted, and we knew that we had to take on investment anyways just because of you know the company that we wanted to build, the people we wanted to hire we felt that obviously having the, the financial support really will allow us to execute on our vision. And so effectively the, the first week um, in the life of ChildMix, uh, we went to Slush actually in Helsinki uh, as, uh, as part of, it was actually a Games London kind of like project where uh, they financed our, um, our flights uh, there to, to meet investors, which was really awesome. Um, so I'm incredibly grateful mm-hmm. for that support that we could go there. And, and that is actually where we met quite a lot of different investors and talked to different investors. And, uh, and it was super fun, actually, being out there and kind of like exploring this. And uh, one of the, the people that we met while we were there was Supercell. And that is actually the first time that we that we kind of like crossed paths and debt form, and after you know exploration and realizing how well we are aligned in terms of the values, we in the end decided to take investment from them. So that effectively started during during the slash in Helsinki.
0: Yeah, that's an amazing story, as well. And the Supercell is quite active in backing. I would say interesting studio creative that are creating something also new and different in the space. So it, I see, of course, very well your studio feeling into uh, yeah, the, the type of investments from Supercell. And what is interesting to me is uh, indeed the six months, forced six months, but uh, maybe it was not such a bad thing uh, to really sit down and get clarity on the vision, uh, the mission of the studio, the values. You even talked about values with uh, partners and investors. So could you tell more about, uh, yeah, what what is the mission you came up with for Trailmix when you started to become public? And uh, maybe what you were looking for into investors like this value you mentioned. Mm.
1: Yeah, So, so the reason why... Why we started TrendMix was, I guess, we really started out of the desire to create a, a space where where people can flourish and a space that does allow people to be the best version of themselves. And also a company that, you know, that respects their players and creates amazing experiences for, you know, like this this vast audience out there. And, and part of it is, you know, creating a team that reflects this audience to really be able to understand what the audience needs, and and just create amazing things. And we actually the reason why we call Trailmix Trailmix was because we want we were making games that are snackable yet nourishing, uh, just like the nutty Trailmix snack. <laughs> and uh, and that effectively means that you know, like the, the snackability mm-hmm. of. You know like a candy crush right it's, it's incredible like it, it fits into your lifestyle it's super fun you know it gives you something to do and uh and i i also love working uh, for king because i love the king games right and um and i think that that we are obviously very inspired by you know like this this type of genre reaching so many so many people and providing an experience for them that just really fits into the context of their lives that they you know can just pick up and play wherever they are, and I guess what a nourishing part comes from is just yeah the desire to to create a space for them that leaves them feel you know nourished and feels some good about you know like what what they're doing and um and I guess yeah, create an environment that is that is safe and you know just satisfying if that makes sense and and for us the the mm-hmm. nourishing part um very much founded expression in, you know, like strong storytelling and uh, and telling stories that that are kind of different to, you know, what you usually see or often see in games, and that, you know, are still lighthearted, but they do also discuss topics that are important. But uh, but yeah, that that is really kind of like the this negative yet nourishing has been sort of our our guiding light for, you know, like, definitely for our games. But I guess also kind of like for how we built the team and just, you know, just creating those safe spaces, if that makes sense.
0: I love the background story about Tremix. I didn't know about that, but it makes completely sense. And it's a good way to remember. And also, I relate a lot to you, uh, the mission of the games you're making. Like, I we will talk a bit about your product, Love & Pies. But also at our studio, when we started as well, or Plantopia, that was a similar thinking as well, where we just didn't want to create another game, but something a little uh, deeper, you know, that has a meaning for us, that can they can relate to their lives, that they can relate to the product, and not something completely on a fantasy level, abstract, you know, from the life. So I, <laughs> it's funny to hear as well the background thinking, and I could feel it by playing Love and Pies, by the way. So that's amazing, and. I'm curious here, and again, for the transition from King to building your own company, looking back. and here is really not again to criticize or a company or something, but I'd like to understand knowing what you are doing right now in Trailmix, why was it challenging or not even possible to do it in a company like King, you know, like established
1: company? Well, that's that's a very good that's a very good question. Obviously, um, to be fair, I think that it's it's probably no one's fault, but just a result of where the company is at in, in their you know <laughs> their life cycle, so to say, right? Um, because it obviously, I, I mean, King Crew from you know like only a few like a, from a startup to I guess now maybe two thousand, three thousand people or so. Um, and obviously, it's is owned by Activision and is incredibly successful with, you know, like Candy Crush Saga and Farm Hero Saga and other games. And I guess their their priorities just have adjusted to, you know, like the, the relevant business priorities, right? Which makes sense for them, I suppose. But, but I guess, I, I mean, I don't, you know, like King has been obviously an incredible employer. And I guess a lot of the things we know, we have learned at King. But I guess also the things that we have learned, I, as I said, they kind of allowed us to, to see a lot of stuff and go through experiences that helped us to understand what not to do, right? And I, I guess hypercross sometimes does make it difficult to keep you know, the the culture cohesive in many ways, right? And and hyper success can also have a negative impact on, you know, like the just the general environment or how you how you do things. And it felt like just having a, a separate, you know, like small company allows us to, you know, build something from scratch that you know that, that has certain values and fuse from the beginning and through our learnings, so I guess we you know we We've learned how to, um, yeah, what to do to keep those values intact in, in some ways. And I guess startups are just a little bit more flexible in terms of like how quickly you can move, or what type of decisions you make. So, yeah, so for us, it, it was just the right thing to do.
0: So uh, let's talk further now a bit more about uh, product and games, because also I'm excited to discuss a bit about Love and Pies. So I I followed the evolution of of this game. And my team is very fond of it, uh, by the way. So they played it, and uh, they comment as well on the new thing they discovered, so they really like the game, so congratulations. I was curious, how did you come up first with the concept? So was it the first game you started, or more of a product of iteration? There are th- several things I noticed as well in this product. So, of course, the narrative, very fresh, uh, single mom, you know, with a little kid. I heard also from my team recently there was some LGBTQ narrative and uh, romance stories, which I haven't seen much in games. You also innovated on the core as well, uh, gameplay. So, it's a lot, you know, at once. So, I, I was just curious about how you approach, you know, the product strategy. The concept and this choice you made in the game.
1: Sure. Yeah. So when we when we got started, as I said, uh, guiding light was the, the you know snackable yet nourishing uh, thing, <laughs> and uh, that's obviously super broad in many ways. But I guess for the for the snackable part, it was really important for us to find something that's fresh mm-hmm. yet familiar, and so we actually spent a long time, probably eight or nine months, the first eight or nine months prototyping what that means you know like what is what is our expression of that and what what is it that that can feel fresh yet familiar and and to be honest it is really tough to find something that's fresh yet familiar because obviously you know like completely innovating is actually relatively easy because the sky is the limit and going completely familiar is also easy because you effectively just copy what's already out there but like finding the the, the sweet spot between those two is just is so so difficult and and at the time we kind of also felt like how can we introduce a little bit of the nourishing part also into into the core and and I was actually at that time playing Triple Town a lot and uh, Merge Dragons just uh, got released and and I I was a huge fan and I and I guess that inspired me a little bit to look at you know like the core game mechanic in a different way in the sense that you know like how can you turn it into kind of like a nourishing crowing experience? You know, whereas I think, you know, in Candy Crush, you just uh, destroy candy effectively, right? But uh, we wanted to crow something in our, in our core. And so, Tristan is obviously a designer, right? And I, I only, uh, you know, I ask him to design uh, something that's fresh yet familiar and focused on crows, <laughs> which is obviously really difficult. But that is kind of like where it came from, and uh, and so we had a lot of different iterations and have really been experimenting, I, I suppose, with the sort of like merge and crow mechanic for so many years now and in the end it, it was what love and pious is now you know that that is the game effectively in different you know variations and uh, different shapes and forms that, that we've been working on for the last like three years effectively uh, or two and a half years which is obviously a very long time but I guess we also set our uh, our bar very high in terms of what our expectations are in terms of quality in terms of you know, like the, the narrative that we do want to tell. And I would say one of the important things for us was that our writer was one of our earliest hires. And so I guess, in, especially in mobile games, the story can often be in kind of like an afterthought. And and we always knew that, you know, it, it, for us, for the game to be really snackable and nourishing and really to focus on a good and strong story we need to focus on it uh, from day one, and so so our writer was really essential, you know, from from the earliest prototyping stage, and mm-hmm. and so we we took a long time to really understand like what kind of characters can we create that that do you know like tell a, a strong story that again you know is lighthearted and really fun and appropriate for you know like the the context of you know like of which. Um, like and players uh, play, you know, the the game, but still, you know, memorable and really tell a story that, you know, that touches, you know, like the variety of different players and not just one type of player. Mm-hmm. And
0: we come back maybe more in details to that about the narrative, but I had a quick question about the reactions to the narrative choice you made, uh, first from the players and second from industry peers. What were the feedback you get?
1: actually incredibly uh positive really really positive uh which was which is really great i mean we we haven't gotten any negative feedback uh on the story whatsoever and it was actually it um obviously we are we're using you know like uh, playtest cloud and these type of <laughs> you know like uh, ways to to get some qualitative feedback and we used that early on to just see you know, how do, how do people react to the characters? How do they react to the different, you know, like storylines? And everything just had, like people, people really loved seeing that they're different characters. And, and that the story is kind of, I, I wouldn't say, this, say that the story is risky, but I think it's unusual in some ways. And, and yeah, the reaction just has been incredibly positive, which is really awesome, actually. We're very happy about this.
0: That's great to hear. So now let's focus a bit on you also as uh, the CEO, yes, of a company. And as you also started, you know, like um, setting the culture as well of the company you built, I was curious first to hear more about your personal values, work and life, and how these core values are reflected in the company you built or in your leadership style.
1: Uh, Sure. I guess generally speaking I, I I'm a very optimistic person and I do think that like humans are good you know like kind of like full stop <laughs> and it's uh, but but really what changes sort of like be, uh, people's mm-hmm. behavior and um, and who they are is, is often their environment and the you know like the space they're in and like how how they can, how they, if they can be themselves, you know, like what the pressures are in them, what the restrictions are in them. And, and so I think that it's so important to kind of find an environment where you can be the best version of yourself. And I think what I, what I mentioned earlier for me, by finding the, the gaming industry and finding the people of the gaming industry, I do feel that I have found my, my tribe in that way. And I I have learned that actually by surrounding myself with great people I can be a better person. And and I guess that that is just so ingrained in my brain now that uh, that you know you, you really have to create an environment for people to to be great people, right? And to you know to make them feel Safe and really get the best out of them, and so, and I guess the yeah that that is the whole point of Trailmix really to provide this environment. And I guess as a as a company founder, you you actually have you can have so, such a big impact on people's lives and and obviously on you know millions of players, but also more importantly on on the people who choose to join you. And so it, it is your responsibility, you know. Yeah, to make sure that they have this environment where they where they can really flourish. Mm-hmm. And
0: how how do you describe then the culture of uh, the team you have today? If you had to describe them in a few words, like your ways of working and being.
1: I guess generally, I guess just to talk about like culture generally. I suppose like Tristan and I uh, have incredibly high standards on ourselves, and we we feel that culture is effectively how we you know everyone behaves and not necessarily you know just just a few words uh, to be honest but uh, but i guess that you know i guess again you know, coming back to the you know, environment that that is safe where people are respected where you know like people have fun but they're also you know like are proud and serious about what they want to achieve and and where they feel they are challenged and they're supported in you know, like their their personal growth as well as their professional growth. And I'm pretty sure
0: you have a lot of decisions you have to make as well in your position as a CEO. So like, again, related to the value, what are your guiding principles when you need to make hard decisions? Or do you have any anecdote you have to share of recently a hard decision you had to make?
1: I guess uh, I would generally say that making decisions early and uh, and and especially the hard decisions uh, instead of you know shying away from them is kind of is actually it's it's I mean everyone knows that's important but it's maybe even more important than we think sometimes because I guess in the end I guess that you know the guiding principles are that you want you know people to be happy and successful long term and you want things to, you know, like it's really the sort of like the long term impact. And in order to, you know, be be around for the long term or, you know, like have this long term success, you you sometimes have to make tough short term decisions if that makes sense, right? And I guess like avo- avoiding some of the tough decisions might actually mean that that it will have negative a negative impact on on the longer term if that makes sense, right? And that that involves. You know, making, like making quick decisions that if, if a person is just not the right person for the team or a team is not the right team for the person, you know, like making that decision relatively quickly and addressing issues quickly or in relation to the game, also making decisions that are not super popular. If you know that in the end, it's going to be, it's going to make everyone happier long term if you take this difficult decision now.
0: Yeah. And over these three years as a CEO, what is the biggest mistake you made? And then, I guess, learning you have had
1: over these past three years? Uh, So many. (laughs) Uh, So, so many. Um, I think, I I guess one of the things that I now realize that I didn't realize, uh, obviously, in the, the early days or even years, is that think I actually heard that, I heard someone say at some point that first-time founders don't spend enough and, you know, serial entrepreneurs spend too much, something like that. And I'm not sure about serial entrepreneurs if that's true, but definitely for first-time founders and for myself, I think even mm-hmm. though we raised a substantial seed round, I felt that my job is to spend as little money as possible, whereas... <laughs> That's actually totally not true, right? Like the whole point of getting money is to actually spend it and deploy it in the best possible way to ensure uh, to ensure the success of the company. And and I think in our case, I also felt that I felt that I yeah shouldn't spend money. I felt that I need to do everything myself because you know like getting more people on board is kind of a luxury. And and I think the, the problem with that was in the end that I tried to do everything myself and got so bogged down and like doing all of these things that I actually didn't have enough headspace and time to really, you know, like do what I was supposed to do as a CEO, which which is, you know, like stepping outside of all of this and making sure that, you know, like the vision is always clear, you know, like that that, you know, this, this, the North Star is always, um, you know, in front of everyone. And um, uh, and I, I guess I, and, it, and it's a tough one because in many ways, mm-hmm. you know, like all of the, the the little bits that you kind of have to do when you start a company, they're, they're, they are important. Someone has to do them. You probably do them for the first time. So you want to make sure you do them properly, but like realizing that all things considered, that is actually not the most important thing for you to do right now. Yeah, that, that just took me a little bit too long. And I think only when I realized that, hey, if I bring on board this person who is much better than me and doing those things, <laughs> and that actually allows me to to step up and really, you know, really be a CEO, then everyone is going to be happier. That probably took me a little bit too long.
0: Mm-hmm. And as a follow-up question as well, in your position as CEO, what are the
1: top three priorities for you? Uh, top three priorities is team. You know, like te- I mean, team is the, the number one priority for us as a company. It's, it's all about the people. It's, it's fact. And, um, and the team is the most important area for us to focus on. Then, obviously, the product and our players and creating you know, the experience that we want to create for them. And I guess like, staying true to our values for the team and for our players. And I guess, thirdly, not to run out of money. I guess that's actually pretty fundamental (laughs) to all of this, obviously.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you have a CFO or somebody on the financial side uh, to uh, support you?
1: Yeah, we have a a finance director who joined us uh, a few months ago, actually, which is awesome. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's very helpful.
1: Yes, very helpful.
0: And last question on that part. Is what is your definition of success in life?
1: Definition of success in life, <laughs> I guess having an impact, having a positive impact on on the people around me, and and just, I mean, I I hope that you know in some no matter how small a way I can help to change things and just make things just a little bit better. I suppose. Yeah that's great and
0: that's also achievable so that's also good to sometimes also set or good level you know of expectation for our goals okay then now switching on a topic as well important for the podcast is diversity and inclusion and i would say i see always a topic on that every week's event you know these days as well like with the press and with blizzard unfortunately but I would like to hear from you. How are you approaching personally this topic,
1: and as a company? I guess as a company, so I think first of all, it is incredibly important for us to just we hire the best people, right? Uh, that that's that's pretty clear. But I think it's for us as founders, our task really is to. Create a super broad pool of candidates and kind of like you know support a diverse pool of candidates that we can uh, that we can hire from if that makes sense right and and I guess I guess like support the the environment where where people feel that they are safe and that they're they're treated fairly and and yeah and I guess that again that has been one of the reasons why we founded Tranix in the first place so it's obviously one of our biggest priorities as a company and and you can just tell also that because our our team at Tranix is so diverse i think that it it does really show in the the product that we have created and and we are making games for for everyone and like the like mobile players are just they are really everyone and they are across the globe and and therefore it's so important to have you know like a team behind the game that that understands this audience and kind of like and serves this audience and also respects this audience which is which is incredibly uh Mm -hmm. important and and i think also to be fair having having a group of people around you who are who are not all the same it's just it's just fun you know like you you learn so much from other people and it, I guess it's so so life enriching having people around you who are not like you and who have different opinions and have different backgrounds and different life experiences and and can share those with you.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally agree. And you mentioned as well like diversifying the pool of candidates. And for me personally, it's been a challenge and I totally believe in this approach because it's not about uh, taking the only woman in the pool of, uh, I don't know, 10 candidates. Uh, Of course, you want to take the best uh, fitting candidates for the role. But what was your approach to make sure that you can diversify as much as possible the candidates?
1: Um, so usually, uh, what we do, and I mean, it's not a very sophisticated process, to be honest, uh, because, mm-hmm. because we obviously, uh, you know, still a startup, but, um, but usually I actually do a lot of the, the recruitment and, um, I actually do spend a lot of time on, uh, LinkedIn and, you know, different platforms. So just mm-hmm. like, just look through, um, you know, like different roles and see, you know, who's who's out there. And, and we, we actually hired a lot of people, just because I you know I reached out to people on LinkedIn and just you know checked if they're interested in talking to us and and I guess while doing this, I obviously make sure that uh, it's it's a very balanced sort of pool if that makes sense right and also people who might not be so active on social media right but somehow getting them to see that there is an opportunity and it I mean it it is it is a lot of work I'm not gonna lie right and it's I think making sure that the, the, the pool is really broad obviously it does require dedication and it does require uh, it's 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 just more effort it's just how it is right but it 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 obviously pays it so pays off and just like being open minded to you know like yeah who who's out there what what exactly are you looking for how you can how you can find a person for this this job that's the the best person for the job and, uh, you know, maybe you find them in places where they, where where you haven't looked before. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And I'm happy that you mentioned this approach that indeed is not that sophisticated, uh, but it's one that takes effort and time. And if you're committed to, you know, have a diversity in the team and in candidates, that's the way to go mm-hmm. as well. I went through this, and I know the work as well. Uh, so I'm really happy that you also have been doing this, and I hope it will encourage others to just do this. Until you know, we will have so so many different talents that it's will not require this proactive uh, actions. But for now, yeah. it's how it is.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I guess I'm. I once we are able to go out (laughs) and mingle again i suppose that it i feel it also does help right because then you can you can talk to you know like people and just build out a network and i guess we we haven't really had an opportunity to do that as much in person over the last one and a half years therefore it kind of like Mm -hmm. had to happen via linkedin and, and other ways but i guess yeah like I I really enjoy just going out and talking to all kinds of people and I also hope that you know like people just you know reach out to us if they if they feel that they have the same values and just want to want to have a chat yeah
0: and more for you in your personal experience so I know as well this experience can differ really from uh, women to women and in leadership position but I wanted to hear as well your personal experience as a woman in games and in a leadership position
1: how it's been for you <laughs> i guess like generally speaking i feel that i mean i'm i'm incredibly grateful for you know like the gaming industry and the companies that i worked for and i think that that obviously i i do feel i have been feeling like really well supported throughout my career um to be honest so 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 it's been so so great in so many ways i guess the some of the challenges that i've experienced and i think a lot of women or non-white men (laughs) experience is that the the expectation often is that you do behave like the those white men uh, (laughs) and just adapt their style in some ways and i feel that there are a few examples of situations where, you know, like, for example, one, one example where I was told that I just, you know, should be a little bit more aggressive, like my, my male counterparts, right. And it's uh, <laughs> kind of like, but I, I don't, I don't want to be like them, you know, like, it's, I guess the, I like guess the whole point that you have me as part of the team that I'm not like them. And, um, and I feel that's just, it's really troublesome, because then obviously if people keep telling you that then you try to be like the other people because you don't you wanna you wanna be successful and you wanna you know um the, you, you know like meet the expectations so to say and and i i've I've definitely had situations in throughout my career where I adapted to those expectations. But it actually made me quite unhappy because I I was just not like authentic, if that makes sense, and didn't really like myself acting in that way. And, and that, yeah, I feel that just should never be the case. You know what I mean? Like people should never tell you that you should be a bit more like someone else. And, and, uh, and yeah, I guess, I mean, on the, the flip side, right, I think also, being different and not acting in like the, you know, typical sort of maybe more aggressive sort of like leadership, you know, way Mm -hmm. might mean that some people underestimate you, but maybe it can also be an opportunity and advantage, right? Like being underestimated is not always the worst thing if you think about it, right? Because then you can, uh, then you can over deliver maybe. But but yeah, that, that is definitely a re- reoccurring theme. Yeah, I know very well what you
0: uh, have described. And I think also this is where we see the value of having more diversification in a leadership where there's not just one norm, but to understand the different styles and ways of being. Uh, because as you said, we... Of course, we do have to adapt to uh, to belong in some way or survive uh, for some time, but that's not the ideal way. And by having more and more exposure to different type of leadership and being, then there will be less of these comments, hopefully. But uh, thanks for sharing, because I hope it will create awareness as well of certain expectations that can come toward us, you know, uh, that are, are, of course, unfair. <laughs> All right, so we're reaching to the end also of the podcast, and I always ask these questions to all my guests. So let me begin with the first one. So, what are the next big steps for your studio, and how can we help?
1: Uh, sure. Well, so first of all, thanks so much for for doing this. Uh, I I really appreciate that you that that you're running this podcast and that um you kind of you're elevating different voices and i think that that really means a lot and i i really really appreciate that and i actually i haven't done much in in this regard in terms of like you know um being a guest on podcasts and these sort of things probably also because i'm i'm not a, i'm not super comfortable with it but i also it's important for me obviously to talk to people who you know, I kind of aligned with sort of like what I want to achieve and and people I trust and yeah. So thanks so much for doing this and for having me. That's really great. And as a company, uh, we are obviously um, we are about to launch Love and Pies, which is super exciting. So I, I, for us, for us as a company, that's obviously a, a big step. Um, in having you know our first game globally launched. Wow. We are we are about to move into a new office. Uh, which is really exciting. So we're going to be back in the office three days a week and two days from home, kind of like take the best from both worlds and and hoping that it gives people the flexibility, but still the room to to meet and be creative together and have a good time. And we're also growing, obviously. So I guess if, uh, as I said earlier, if, if people feel that, their values align and they're excited about what we do at TrailMix, then you know, like just reach out to us and um, you know, like have a chat. And if it's just to connect and just, you know, exchange knowledge. It's always great to meet people. But but yeah, that's the next step for us. Lots of stuff is happening this year. I think 2021 is gonna be a really exciting and really good year uh, at TrailMix. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Congratulations for the launch of the game. Thank I'm you. super happy to hear This uh, game will, you know, be presented to many people in the world. It deserves to be. And second question, who was your role model in the industry or personally? A person that inspired you heavily in your journey?
1: Uh, sure. It's actually it's impossible for me to name one person. I'm sorry. <laughs> there are actually quite a lot of people. But <laughs> but uh, I guess actually the, the two people who inspire me the most, um and, and have been doing so for the last, you know, decade. like is um John my my partner in life and Tristan my partner in business. And I guess like obviously life and business is actually very uh, tightly knit together. Um but I guess they're kind of what I said earlier that they, you know, they, they they're just so they act with so much integrity and so much consistency and have so such good values. And I I feel I'm really lucky that I can surround myself with people like them. Uh, And I hope, you know, like, and it feels like it it makes me a better person. And I, I really, I'm really grateful for that. And I also have to say that again, as a as a female founder, it it does feel you always have you know maybe some additional pressures on you, and maybe obviously you know imposter syndrome and just like the general, the whole scariness about starting your own business and putting yourself out there and calling yourself CEO. And and I feel having having both of them always behind me, having my back, mm-hmm. always supporting me, never doubting me. Just meant so much, and I, I, I don't think I could have done it without them, to be honest, right? Because you do need, you do need the rock kind of that that supports you, and and both have done it for me for, for years and years, and um and yeah, and I really appreciate that, and I find I find it very inspiring that there are those people out there who, kind of like selflessly support you, like throughout this journey and so yeah as i said I'm, I'm very lucky and i mean i have to say that generally like ever since i i left king to found my own company i actually i realized that there are so many you know allies out there like and, and not i mean obviously that there are a lot of you know men because there are a lot of men in the industry but obviously not not just men but i think it's um it's it's important to have these allies from all of the different corners who who kind of support you who you can support and uh, it's incredible how rich our industry is in in that sense and actually how how many people are willing to help you and support you and give you input and uh, i think that was to some extent a bit of a surprise for me because definitely while at King, it was a little bit of an ivory tower, to be honest, and you didn't you didn't really connect as much with the rest of the industry. and so so, even I left that kind of really strong community, I kind of felt I jumped into this gaming industry community of amazing people mm-hmm. who have you know like supported me so much like throughout the time and given me so much inspiration of you know how to start a company, how to be a good leader. So, yeah, that has been really good. And actually, lastly, I have to say <laughs> that actually having having been able to spend the last three and a half years um, working more closely with super sellers, our investor, has actually been hugely inspiring as well. Because I mean, I guess everyone knows that, that they are a good company with great values, but I'm still um, surprised how. How great they are! I suppose, in the sense that you know, like they—they they have really, really strong values. And I think for for us, just being able to um, work with someone who is obviously hugely successful and you know hugely powerful in many ways, but still you know, like treat us consistently, fairly, and with respect, and someone who we can absolutely trust that's I think that's actually relatively rare in the business world and and I feel that they've been so good in you know like being a role model for us also how you you know like being hugely successful does not mean you have to turn into a mean corporation (laughs) you can you know you can stick to your values and you can you can be a good player in the field and I think that can actually see that sort of mentality throughout sort of like the other investee companies as well. And, and yeah, I, I I guess for us as trail and for me as a person, I hope that we can at some point be in that position where we are those role models and inspire others.
0: Very inspiring. Thank you. And you mentioned something really important. You have a good support network when you're, yeah, especially going for your own company. And last question: If you had one thing you wish to change right now in the industry, what would it be?
1: Uh, (laughs) there, There are quite a few things, I guess, but I I do I do wonder. I guess like everything kind of starts with money. I suppose like you need you need money for stuff, right? So I guess like what I would love to see is. Uh, a bit of a different wealth distribution in the sense that and I mean I guess that's like for the whole world, of course, but I guess for the for the gaming industry specifically, it does feel that you know like the same people invest into you know sort of like the same companies and and I guess from a from an investor point of view like m- you know like more broadly or you know like the the people industry in the industry who have the financial resources. I think if the that pool would be a bit more diverse and they could, you know, invest in other companies that are different, I guess that would really enrich the whole, uh, you know, like industry, because like in the end, like it, it all starts with having money to actually be able to do stuff, if that makes sense. And, and I, you know, just going through for me personally, the, Uh, the experience of um, you know fundraising uh, it's actually striking that there wasn't a single woman a female decision maker in any of the the vc companies or uh, anywhere which is pretty and and i I think that's probably slightly different outside Mm -hmm. of the gaming industry but at least you know within the gaming industry there's literally i haven't encountered a single decision maker who is not a guy and and i guess i think one of the the goals for for us at tramix um well for me personally is that you know i also want tramix to be financially successful very financially successful to kind of change this equation i want you know like tramix employees to be in a financial situation where they can start angel investing in other companies you know like where we as a company can invest in, in companies that uh, that are aligned with our values and just kind of like change how the flow of money works in the industry i mean that's a that's a big goal but uh, but that that is something that i would love to change just giving access to more capital to just a more diverse group of people
0: yeah It will take time, but slowly there are some more funds created by women putting more attention to also companies that have female founders, but it's a very slow process, but yeah. Okay, Okay, well, Caroline, thank you very much. It was amazing. I learned also a few things from you today. Uh, So thanks for your time and uh, yeah, good luck with the launch of uh, Love & Pies. We will check it out for sure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Rise and Play podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, rate and review the podcast, spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io, including my free masterclass on conscious leadership. Until the next time,